Hey, thanks so much. Well, we had a special day in the life of our church yesterday. We had our inaugural first ever youth meetup. So for kids that were in um, fifth grade and above, we had a special time to gather up. Alamo was throwing a party because of the release of Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Great movie. How come I'm the only one wearing it? We talked about this, you guys. Please stand up and support me. Hello. Hello, Sutter, B student. Come on now. Oh, you broke your mask. <laughs> Fail. Fail. You shall remain Peter Parker. Uh, so we had a, a fun morning, uh, and they had all this interactive stuff at Alamo. And so we got another uh, youth meetup coming up in uh, January. Uh, and so we're just encouraging, like Bill was talking about, uh, we are trying to grow. We're, we're like a toddler church taking these wobbly next steps, but we want to grow. We want to uh, grow into some areas of children's ministry. We want to grow in our kind of what we're offering in terms of our youth ministry. Um, but the last thing we want to do is just put a big high entertainment attraction ministry out there. We want something that actually cultivates a, a living faith. But we're excited to just have a little fun and, and play together. So that was a really kind of fun community spotlight in the life of Mission Hills yesterday. And there's a couple of other things I just want to draw your attention to. Uh, I won't give all the announcements wearing my Spidey mask. Uh, but we, we have um, next week, we have some tribe parties. Uh, and so uh, we want you to RSVP because that is the miracle of Christmas. When you let tribe leaders know what you're bringing, contributing, uh, but we also want to make this accessible. So if there's from friends and neighbors, uh, help recruit, help make this a, a fun party. Uh, um, and so we're saving uh, kind of our worship expression next week for Monday night, which is Christmas Eve. And we are going to be meeting over in the sanctuary. We're going to do uh, kind of a pre-party around 3 o'clock. So come early. Connie's collecting some folks who can help contribute to some baking. Uh, and so plan to come early and, and just enjoy a little family time with the church uh, next, next, uh, next Monday. Uh, and then the last thing I was just going to highlight again, um, mark your calendars on um, Saturday night, March 2nd. We are celebrating being three with a masquerade party. And so uh, that is something that we do not want to just give ourselves a pat on the back and say, we did it, we're three years old. We actually want to like make it accessible and available to um, others. And so uh, help us, help us uh, make our faith and community accessible coming up. That being said, we are in the midst of this Advent season and we're having wonderful meditations on what it means to experience pursue, long for, peace on earth. Uh, it seems both readily accessible and um, kind of elusive at the same time. Uh, but I just, would, can I embarrass you? Can, can you come up here and join me for a sec? Uh, before we dismiss our kids out, I want to ask Aaron to come up here. Uh, Aaron's in a situation now, maybe some of you are aware, uh, but, you know, tis the season for everything to just kind of heat up a little bit. Aaron's been kind of anchoring the small educational curriculum company. Uh, <clears throat> the, the, the CEO, was, it was an inherited business, and he didn't actually have a background in education, and so she was doing a lot of the operations, and um, I've actually been encouraging her to be looking elsewhere, because I didn't feel like it was sustainable. But uh, just about two weeks ago, she got a notice that they're going to be shutting down operations. And, uh, and so 
everyone was sort of handed uh, their, the door. Uh, and, uh, and so she began to process. Well, she had a whole team. In fact, she had just hired people two days before. Yeah, that Monday before. We, and this was on Wednesday. On Friday. On Friday. So on Monday, she had just hired two other people on her team. And then by Friday, everyone's getting pink slips. And so she's now apologizing to the people she just, who left other jobs to come work. I mean, it was kind of a, it was, it was an awful situation, not kind of. Um, but being Erin, uh, she uh, shared something on Facebook in advocating for one of her workers. And, and I remember her, she texted me Friday night and just said, I'm just thankful so many others have it far worse than I do. Uh, so advocating for one of her staff, she just put it out there on the internet. Uh, we all found out we're losing our jobs. Uh, the company's out of money and they're just winding things up. Long short of it is, he took that, the CEO, as defamation and reneged on uh, what he felt like was a, <clears throat> a, a severance package that was just him being good hearted. So uh, tis the season for you trying to do good, right? You're trying to advocate on people who have it worse. And then he's, so um, that doesn't look like it's going to go anywhere. Uh, and so kind of the timeline for needing to find a next step. So, so I wanted to make our church family aware of it because it's very easy to just go, I'm good. I'm fine. And I think you are good and fine. But I also recognize that there's needs among us. And so uh, before we send our kids out, we just wanted to kind of have a time. I, I wanted to just pray for her for her family. Uh, she's been operating as the primary breadwinner. Uh, and so this is a difficult season for all of us. And this is just uh, in different ways. But I just thought as a, as a faith family, we could kind of in support and solidarity, just pray for us. So would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, I'm thankful for my friend. Uh, I'm thankful for the heart that you've been grooming and growing. I thank you for how you've been revealing and becoming ever increasingly personal. I thank you for her contributions to her coworkers, uh, for, to her boss, uh, to this church. I thank you for her family and for what she brings in terms of her creativity, her warmth, her care, her concern, uh, her leadership, and how she's helped be part of the architecture of this faith family. But I do pray, as you uh, <clears throat> are still in control, we just pray that you would open doors, that you would provide opportunities, that you would expedite any interviewing process. I pray that you would be made known and reveal yourself in really tangible ways. I pray for uh, a, a better situation to come. I pray for uh, a next step to come sooner than later, Lord Jesus. But we ask for your mercy. We ask for your presence and for your comfort as she just kind of wanders through this, this season of life where she thought it was going to be different than what it is now. So we trust in you. When we feel out of control, we just confess that we believe you remain in control. And we agree together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Aaron. <coughs> and so it's with that we want to go ahead and um, dismiss our kids. Uh, and we want to send them out with this blessing together. So would parents uh, and, and church family, would you say with me, the Lord bless you and you continue in your worship. Awesome. Yay. It's the Naughty List Kids Ministry coming at you. I think we're rebranding it. Naughty List Kids Ministry. <laughs> no, it's not true. 
Um, I, I have to share something that maybe you're familiar with, but it is one of my favorite stories. You know, I troll the internet constantly, uh, trying to find good stuff. This is one I've sat on for, uh, I've, I've actually used it in the past, but given the season we're in, I don't know how many of you are going to be traveling in the coming weeks, uh, but we've all had terrible airport and plane experiences. Uh, <clears throat> how many are familiar with a story called 29E? Awesome. You're in for a treat. This is one of my favorite stories. It happened in 2004 on a continental airline, and this passenger was beside himself. He did what all of us wish we would have done. He did what all of us wish, other than maybe Rick LaPlante, that could articulate in words, on paper, exactly his frustration. Uh, this is, this, it, it was sort of like he spoke for all of us when he had this experience on this crowded flight on December 21st, just no room in the inn, and we're trying to talk about peace on earth, and so he's sitting there in seat 29E crafting this message, and they even had his actual message, and it was approved because customer service got it, but this is how it goes. Dear Continental Airlines, I am disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I am having sitting in 29E on one of your aircrafts. As you may know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory, so close that I can reach out with my left arm and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. <laughs> it's difficult to say what the worst part about sitting in 29E really is. Is it the stench of the sanitation fluid that's blown all over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh of the constant flushing? Or is it the passenger's butts that seem to fit in my personal space like a pornographic jigsaw puzzle? <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> I constructed a stink shield by shoving one end of the blanket into my overhead compartment while effectively while effective in blocking at least some of the smell and offering a small bit of privacy on the butt on my body factor has increased as well without my evil glare passengers feel free to lean up against what they think is some kind of blanketed wall the next butt that touches my shoulder will be the last <laughs> I love the graphic images. It's like doodling in church to a whole nether level. I am picturing the boardroom full of executives giving prop to the young promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats onto this plane by putting them next to the lavatory. I would like to flush his head in the toilet that I am close enough to touch and taste from my seat. Putting a seat here was a very bad idea. I just heard a man groan in there. This sucks. <laughs> Depiction of the man's butt and my face. <laughs> Worse yet is I paid over $400 for the honor of sitting in this seat. Does your company give refunds? I'd like to give back where I, I'd like to go back to where I came from and start over. Seat 29E could only be worse if it was located inside of the bathroom. <laughs> I wonder if my clothing will retain the sanitizing odor. What about my hair? I feel like I'm bathing in a toilet bowl of blue liquid and there's no man in a little boat to save me. 
I'm filled with deep hatred for your plain designer and general dis-ease that my la- for my la- that my last four hours. We are finally descending, and soon I'll be able to tear down the stink shield, but the scars will remain. I suggest that you initiate immediate removal of this seat from all of your crafts. Just remove it and leave it leave the smoldering brown hole empty. A good place for sturdy, non-absorbing luggage, maybe, but not human cargo. <laughs> genius, I tell ya. Christmas genius. So I don't know if I need to post that online so that like in your misery you can like retreat back. You're sitting in 29E and everyone's like, like is starting to boil. You're like, friends, I got a story for you. L- let me break the ice uh, and, and put the extinguisher on all that we're angry about. So peace on earth, except when you leave the earth and start flying, there's no peace to be found. I think uh, when we talk about peace, there's something super important because the idea of peace brings up the notion that we're avoiding conflict, and yet you and I live with tension and conflict and duress constantly. So when we hear this notion that God has sent this Prince of Peace, we're like, yeah, I don't know if my theology is bad, if I have little faith, but I don't experience peace on earth. To which I would simply begin by saying, when we understand God's peace, we have to understand it's not simply the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of something so much more. I put out some bulletins tonight. Maybe you want to jot some notes. I've updated our our app. If you want to follow along in the app, there's some more detailed notes in there. But let me just begin by saying, Uh, There are two primary words that come to us uh, out of the Hebrew word for peace, which we know is shalom. And maybe the best way to talk about shalom is with these two words, whole and complete, to which you would say, yes, please, and thank you. Whole and complete. It has the connotation of a perfect brick without any cracks, a piece of tile that is clean and without blemish, or the idea of a brick-laid wall coming together and all of the pieces fitting that creates wholeness and completeness. It's like Solomon was given credit for bringing shalom to the temple of the people of God because Solomon was charged with and completed the temple. It was times like in Nehemiah. Nehemiah brought shalom to Israel because the wall had been broken down. And so what we want to look at is the idea of what does it mean to find wholeness, completeness, when, when we still live in a world that feels impossible that feels oh so difficult. It's the idea that life is really complex. It's the idea that life is full of ideas and full of relationships and full of circumstances. It's the idea that it is full of health and sickness and it's full of disappointment and loss. And so when one area of our life is affected, so is another. And we can't live in this compartmentalized existence that says, oh, my physical life is separated from my 
emotional life, or my spiritual life is separated from my intellectual life. They're all integrated. And so when one area gets affected, it all gets affected. Jesus steps into it and he starts taking these building blocks and starts building this, and I'm using the wall because that's that's kind of the image that we get, um, where he's taking the complex nature of it and he's starting to piece it back together one block at a time, but it's all interconnected. And so this picture of shalom is, is, is a fascinating one. And simply to just say peace um, doesn't do uh, it justice. Now, when rival kingdoms uh, in, in the Bible would make shalom, it didn't mean that they were just supposed to stop fighting, like we understand a ceasefire. When we hear the word ceasefire, that means they're no longer throwing grenades and they're no longer pulling the trigger or they're no longer shelling. It's like, okay, for right now, no one's shooting anyone. But actually, when we read about it in scripture, what it meant, what it was supposed to mean was that they start working together for each other's benefit. That's what Shalom was supposed to do. The problem is, is that all of these, most of these kings of Israel never actually took it to the next level. That idea that we're not just not fighting, but we're actually working for each other's benefit. Again, peace isn't just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of something so much more, so much greater, so much more beautiful, maybe so much more collaborative. Huh. That's really hard to do. It's like saying, say you're sorry. Sorry, not really. Sorry, not sorry. Now, now work together, no. I'll just keep to myself. Thank you very much. And so what happens is, is the prophet Isaiah comes along when all of these kings kept failing to actually produce the kind of shalom that God was inviting him to. Uh, And so he starts talking about what it meant about this future king that would have peace with no end. Okay. So peace that was sustaining peace that was enduring and so he talks about it and then in Jesus God would make a new covenant of shalom with his people that would make right all the wrongs that would heal all the bruises that's why when he says wonderful counselor mighty God what prince of peace and this is why Jesus's birth is announced as peace so that he'd offer peace to others Do you think Jesus' life was a peaceful life? No. Do you think Jesus came with opposition and hurdles? Did Jesus have easy street or some kind of cushioned retirement? Absolutely not. And yet he was the prince of peace, which should give all of us a modicum of inspiration that we can be princesses, and princess says of peace just like Jesus even in the midst of opposition and conflict Jesus comes to inaugurate this peace and he even says peace I leave with you this is John 14 27 my peace I give to you I do not give you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid so what it implies is that Jesus' peace being in us is that we will face conflict, we will have hurdles, we will have loss, 
but in the midst of it, we can also experience peace. I think that's exactly what's happened as we pray for Aaron tonight. A job loss and then a severance removed, the idea that she's advocating for co-workers and finding herself in a place to need to still experience peace on earth. So what does she do? Advocate for someone else's needs and need for a job before her own. Step up and say, yeah, it's my turn. I want to go into children's ministry. It doesn't mean that I get to just stop contributing. It doesn't mean that I can stop building the wall, the putting the pieces back together of our broken existence. Peace is present whether we acknowledge it, receive it, or not. So there's a story that comes out of Luke chapter 7. It might be a familiar story to most of us, but I think it has an interesting application here. Jesus was invited into a Pharisee's home, which feels like a bit of a setup. And I don't think Jesus was going to be surprised by this. But do you remember the story of the woman with the alabaster jar? This jar of expensive perfume. But she was a woman of ill repute and everyone knew it. There was no secret about her lifestyle. And yet she was poor enough in spirit and probably in finances to actually receive. She was in such a place to say, it's okay, I know I can't change what they think of me, but I'm still gonna come bring an offering to Jesus. What a powerful picture of what it means that Jesus would say, I've come to the poor, not because he likes the poor better, it's because the poor know that they need it. Most of us are in a place to go, no, I'm good. In fact, I walked around to, to, to Aaron because I felt led to pray for her tonight, and I just said, is it okay if I share your story? To which she said, Absolutely. What, have I ha what do I have to lose at this point? What a beautiful thing to say. I actually can recognize my need. So therefore, I'm in a better place to receive. Now the woman comes in and Jesus confronts everyone because they start asking, well, pfft, if this guy knew who was touching him, if this guy knew who was crying and sharing her tears over him, if this guy knew who he was being anointed by, he'd know that this is bad news. And he says, no, the good news is she's done for me what you haven't. And there was this kind of custom in this arid desert climate to welcome guests with honor by anointing them, and by giving them a place, by freshening up the joint because everyone's not showering every day. And so the woman comes in and said, <clears throat> so he looks at Simon and he says, I have something to tell you in front of all the people. And he gets super illustrative here. It's not on the screen, but it's in, in Luke chapter 7 if you want to follow along. He says, two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them... Um, had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman. He says, do you see this woman? I came to your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't even get, greet me with a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has 
poured this perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, her, her, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he, he who has uh, forgiven little loves little. Prince of Peace, right? Then Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among them, who is this that even has the ability to forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. What does he say? Go in peace. Now, the woman leaves the place having been sort of validated. But does she go being fully restored? No. Does she go fully financially sustainable? No. Does she go with an, a, a reputation that's been erased? No. Does she go leaving having a, a gainful employment outside of prostitution? No. But he says to her, go in peace. There was something in that moment, again, not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of something so much more. And so you could say, well, he defended her. He validated her. Chose to be reconciled, forgiven, dignified. It's not perfect. She didn't leave without regrets. Didn't leave without her problems. Didn't leave without the stigma. But she had someone extend this kind of wholeness, this blessing it's the wall, and you're building this wall and all of these interconnected places because our spiritual life is connected to our emotional life and is connected to our intellectual life and our relational life. It's all interconnected and we live in this complex world and that's what the shalom of God actually speaks to. Uh, maybe we could say it this way. Uh, this has been a very full six weeks. I don't remember about six weeks ago, I stood up and said, hey, y'all, uh, we've, got, we've got some funds in the Good Neighbor Fund. Please keep giving. Please, please keep paying your cover charge when you come in. But understand, we're, we have a lot of money to be sitting on in a city with so many needs. Well, we've kind of blown almost halfway through what we had. <laughs> Praise God. Um, I would also say that when you're in a church that doesn't have a brick and mortar, and I don't have a public office, I just office out of home. Um, never before has my pastoral role felt as much like a social worker as it does now, and, I, and I'm okay with that. But I have no handlers, there's no bureaucracy. If you have my email and, and my cell phone, I'm getting requests, I'm finding needs. But thankfully, it's just not me. It's people saying, David, I've got this person. So there's a, a woman who, uh, a couple months ago, um, her husband was in jail after aggravated assault. He's getting released, but there's a restraining order. And he had this nice company, kids in private school, trying to keep it from being known at the private school because they're trying to just maintain some of the dignity of the kids because that's super embarrassing when everyone else can afford such nice things. And the mom is left driving for Lyft and then her car breaks down. So I get the call, can we do something? Yes, yes. So we tow it up there. Uh, and it needed a whole new electrical system. The whole electrical system was fried. So it was actually quite costly, but we were actually able to share the expense with someone else, another church in our community, which she named as her church. But we had to figure out a way to go into this mega church to figure out how they could participate. And God kept opening the doors for people's generosity, which I think is a beautiful way to advocate. Did we have all of the money? Yeah, but we're kind of small and things are a lot more finite than the mega church on the hill. 
So it's nice to be able to share some of this, but actually make them aware. And God just began opening the door. Now, so this is a mom getting her car back. Did we solve her problem of a husband who has a violence problem? Nope. Did we put a meal on her table? Did we? Nope. But we brought a little peace on earth. And we get a mom who's finally in a place to just go, thank you that my friends are willing to extend a little generosity and compassion. Uh, Want to go the extra mile of helping me with rides for my own kids while my car is in the shop. There is something just like the woman in the story where she's like, how did I get here? This was not plan A, but I am here and now I'm actually in a place to receive and God is the Prince of Peace. And because Christ has come into earth and come into my life, I get to broker in the world of peace as well. And my life is not perfect and my, my financial needs are great. God is bringing peace on earth block by block as he builds his kingdom. See, shalom is always, always, always a work in progress. It's not just the absence of a dad. It's not just the absence of violence. It's the presence of a restraining order. It's the presence of compassion. It's the presence of generosity. It's the presence of carpooling. This is what it means to have my peace is not what the world gives. My peace I give unto you. And so the apostles claim that Jesus made peace for us, in us, and through us. And this is why Paul later says in Ephesians that Jesus himself is our peace. The whole complete human that I'm made to be, but I'm failed to be constantly. And now he gives me his life as a gift. This means that Christ. Christ followers are made to be people of peace. We're, we're made to, or called to make peace. And churches are called to keep the unity through peace, the bond of peace, which requires us to have this intense humility and patience with one another. But we all know horror stories of churches not keeping the peace but this is our testimony because we're just gracious with one another and, and and we're patient with one another for Christ himself has brought peace to us he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us what do you feel hostile about in our in our context well, a lot of people are hostile towards the idea of freeloading refugees. A lot of times people are hostile to single parents or, or to homeless people because certainly they're just the net sum of their bad choices, except that they're not. And in Christ, he's brought down the, the hostility, the wall dividing us. And then he says, my peace I give to you. So would you go and broker peace on earth, goodwill? towards men he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating himself of one new people from two groups this is why we work so much to spend time with people whose needs are simply different than our own right this is why we choose to be inconvenienced by the needs of others this is actually what forms Christ in us and so we can know the peace of Christ even in the midst of hardship so what does this season feel like for you? 
Is it getting a little emotional? Does it make you a little more upset because, well, there's some family drama that's brewing and unfolding? Does it feel thin financially? Does it feel like you just had some unexpected expense and you don't feel like you can cover it? <coughs> Me too, except that we all have access because Christ has deposited peace in us. And so we have this picture unfolding in our lives, inviting people in the margins who are the most vulnerable, but also the most able to receive. So for people in a Western context that are highly educated, this is, this is kind of our Achilles heel. We don't like to be on the receiving end. <coughs> Bill Nelson emailed me this, or texted me this week, got a, a person that he had met a couple years ago on a, a mobile loaves and fishes run. And you could say, oh gosh, what is, um, what, what is 300 bucks going to do for a grandmother? Well, the grandmother has nine children. She's a woman of faith. Uh, she has two daughters who are drug addicted and abandoned their children to grandma and grandpa. Do you think as a person of faith, she's not feeling the peace? Except $300 goes a long way at Christmas time. She actually had to quit her job because she needed to help provide uh, for the actual care of nine children. In fact, when Bill met her, it was at one of the mobile loaves and fishes trucks. And the oldest grandchild was running with the explicit mandate to say, go get as much as you can. From the food truck? Come on. Peace on earth, right? We get to broker in peace on earth. Even then, the lives, the blocks of our life are still coming together. We get to be part. It's the idea of um, uh, still, still being in process, but already arrived. It's, it's the idea of here and not yet. We have the peace of Christ, and yet there's still some things that are unfolding. Because shalom, as we understand it, is wholeness and completeness, and yet it's very complex. That's why we simply cannot work out our faith and call church some trail that we hike and I just go and be with God in nature. That's a part of it. But it's why we can't just sit and watch webcasts of churches and say, I went to church this morning. It's not church until it gets messy and involved with each other's lives and, and I get interrupted with the need to be praying for each of you. And I know what Christmas is going to feel like for many of you or where your prodigal children are. You know, it, it's being current in one another's lives. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life, that Je life of Jesus who, Colossians says, reconciled all things in heaven and on earth, making peace through the blood of Christ. How do we make peace with God? I would simply say make peace two lists. On one list, I would simply just begin to write down all the things that in the last week, maybe even in the last month, of what you do, did that make you feel like you're more loved by God. And in the second list, write down in the last week all the things that you feel like might make you less loved by God. And now that you've got your lists, ball it up and throw it away. That's how we begin to make peace with God. See, nothing, uh, our choices don't ever change the nature of our relationship or the affection of God. 
True peace takes a lot of work. And it does involve the absence of conflict, but it also means taking what's broken and restoring it. Whether it be in our lives, in our relationships, or in our worlds, the Prince of Peace has come and we get to experience a foretaste of what it can be like until the restoration of all things when, because Advent gives us the hope that he's coming again. That is what we get to participate in as children of a living God where the Prince of Peace has come and is coming again. Can we pray tonight as we kind of close our time and respond to, to God's invitation to be people of peace and to find our people of peace? Our Father in heaven, I am so grateful for this season, even though this season feels actually uh, like the screws got tightened like the needs got greater, like the emotions got heightened, like the expectations felt more acutely unmet. And yet I'm aware that there are kind of building blocks that you're assembling in my life in the form of people, in the form of your provision, in the form of my growing ability to receive. I'm aware that you're at work even when my life feels anything but complete or anything but whole. But you've invited us to be participants in your shalom. And so I pray that we would have eyes to see and part of our therapy, our healing, our salvation would be agents of hope, of mercy. We would broker in peace where we can actually put some tangible peace together. Whether it be teeth, providing dental care or ride share or fixing a van. Lord, you, we understand that your peace is in us. So help us to steward what we do have. Help us to not simply look at what's lacking and longing, but help us to be found as faithful stewards of what you've entrusted us with, what you've imparted to us, so that we can experience the Prince of Peace growing inside of us. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.